0: I don't know what happened, but it became Friday night once again. It seems to happen every week. But here we are, Friday night, bringing you Tech Vibe Radio. I can't wait. I'm a little bit tired tonight, Audrey. Big night last night.
1: You're always tired.
0: I am exhausted. Exhausted. After a you know 75-hour work week, it's time to spend another few hours. 75
1: hours 75, up to Thursday. Up
0: to Thursday, just at least. And you know, now just save that little bit extra for the show on Friday night, especially... Yeah after we had our cio of the year awards last night
1: right. now we're going to debrief a little bit Yeah, and talk about the night the winners it's more and about
0: the winners for me i would say
1: is it yeah
0: cuz it's you know we go for months talking about all the finalists and there's awesome finalists every year i'm always impressed we get i love finalists. the
1: video that we do
0: oh yeah the video that we do with with skinny tie to kind of tell the tell the stories of each of the finalists but at the end of the day we want to know who won just saying
1: yeah. Well, I know. Do you want to talk about them? We probably wanna... should.
0: We should probably jump right into it because we've got a big show in front of us tonight, being that it's, you know, April the 20th, 420.
1: And we have CIO oh, of yeah. the Year. Absolutely. In different categories here,
0: many categories.
1: Which... And so let's start with. Which category do you want to start with? Well, this is a nonprofit category. Okay. And the winner is. Sharon yeah, of the Children's Institute. Yeah. And if you don't know anything about the Children's Institute, perhaps you should know that this is a facility, both inpatient and outpatient, that helps kids with severe disabilities. Yes. And yes, their families. Is. So I am sure that they are not fat with staff, and she is probably working pretty diligently yeah. to make sure that that the employees... And the teachers have the tools that they need. Absolutely. And I'm sure that there's a lot of adaptive devices that are actually in the Children's Institute to help some of these kids with their expression or their right. capability to understand. So she's probably work, you know, has to work across a lot of platforms. She works
0: an hour a week more than I work,
1: I bet. I bet you she does. Exactly. Just saying. I bet you she does.
0: <laughs>
1: and then we have Ron Beckman. Yeah. Which category? Black Box Network. Absolutely. And the category i think is uh, mid-sized companies we've we've sort of talked about terabyte gigabyte uh non-profit
0: absolutely yeah and well, that's why i love cuz the way we the way the way we categorize these guys and of course you know ron being in the gigabyte category so he's big but not super big like the terabyte category which we'll get to in a minute but ron right. beckman i mean blackbox is a, one of those foundational tech companies it is it is
1: pretty interesting and if you're listening and you wonder who's blackbox blackbox is probably the second oldest tech company in Pittsburgh. If you think of CompuNetics,
0: exactly, yeah, and then Blackbox from the seventies, deep.
1: Yeah, it might be. It might be older. Early it's hard 80s. to yeah. say. But you know, they're not. They're actually not located in the city, but they are definitely an active participant in what's happening around the city. So they're called Blackbox Network Services now, mm-hmm. and uh, Ron has been at the helm of information. Technology there for, for a few years and comes out of corporate America and has been around. Absolutely. And so it's exciting because Black Box is really trying to transform themselves again. They are. We also have um, Eng Tan. Yeah. And he's Vice President of Information Technology of Automated Health Systems. And um, there were other finalists in this category. It was sort of an interesting category. We had Philip Savino, Chief Technology Officer of the Pittsburgh Parking Authority. Which, if you don't know anything about that, i that's an app that's pretty important that has helped all of us. I, that's like my favorite app I in know, the world, right? I don't like, know how I, I never existed to, before that. I never
0: get so happy to pay somebody easily. <laughs> it's, it's, to, so, or yeah, I say it's so, pay so the wonderful. City It's the Pittsburgh easily, parking app. Absolutely.
1: And also in that category is Scott Schiffchens. He was director of information technology at Burns and White. Yep. So and he. That, that let's the, get back to the winner on Ng yeah, Tang. Yeah. He's been in that role at Automated Health Systems for 12 years. And he has had a great track record. Um, the people who evaluated the finalists thought that he brought a lot to the table and um, has a, just a great culture within information technology of their company. Yeah, and What category is that? That was the uh, megabyte And that's category. the megabyte right. category. So a slightly, slightly and then we, have a, then we have the... CISO of the year in the gigabyte category. That's the Chief Information Security Officer. I like this
0: guy too. This is a really, this is
1: Dr. I'm... Trevor Z. Evans, yes. and he's Senior Vice President CISO at Dollar Bank. Yep. And uh, so that's got to be exciting and busy times. Can you imagine the changes there? you're
0: seeing every day with all the different cyber threats that hit banks? Right. I mean, he's he's second. got a seat at the table. Yeah. I mean,
1: for it's... for the issues that. Probably all of us read about and don't understand that it touches all of us. Absolutely. And we also have a finalist, and um, that's Mark Husnick of Arconic, formerly of Alcoa, and then they separated, and he's the chief information officer of Arconic. Um, he actually created um, the leader. He was the leader in the actual technology bifurcation to allow arconic and alcoa to separate
0: yeah he would without him that With separation it, right. would not have happened yeah and
1: that, actually he's been at alcon uh, alcoa and arconic for right. 32 years total
0: that's a career right and he there.
1: looks like a baby so if you met him he, he looks, like, looks a, like a baby he, he doesn't, doesn't look, look a day over 33 he doesn't look a day 33 it's true no. he's been there since he was one
0: exactly and he was the winner in the terabyte category which is exciting. And also right. he's our CIO Choice because of the work that he has done over those oh, 30 plus years. Oh, that's great. So years. the
1: CIO Choice Award is actually nominated by other CIOs, exactly. Chief Information Officers. Exactly. And then they get together and identify who are the people that have contributed the most in right. their field for the year leading up to our exactly. event.
0: Exactly. And this is the first time, Audrey. In CIO of the Year history, I believe in the 15 or more years we've been doing Almost this. Almost 15, right. That we've had someone who was also, who, who was a winner within the regular categories who was also a CIO yeah, choice. Yeah, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. we thought that was kind of fun to have that happen for the first time this year. So congratulations to Mark Husnick from Arconic. Arconic. I can't even say you're saying, I know. Yeah. I was having
1: a hard time with that, too. <laughs> I'm like tripping
0: the, over myself trying to say Arconic for crying And out. then
1: there's a Chief Information Security Officer of the Year in the Terabyte category. Yeah. And that award went to Don Capelli. Yep. And she's VP of security and chief information security officer at Rockwell Automation. Yes. And she oversees right strategy, governance, and security risk okay. for the global enterprise. And uh, she started her first security job at CERT, which is actually was part of or Carnegie Mellon. Carnegie Mellon. Exactly. And she started in August. 2001, one month before September 11th. Hey, isn't
0: that crazy? Talk about yep. weird timing.
1: And she was working with the Secret Service to protect national right. special security events from cyber attacks. So she's been at the forefront of Absolutely. this work from before any of us even thought about it. Exactly. I mean, so, I was in tech in 2001. I just moved to Pittsburgh. Right. But I don't. I remember us talking about like internal breaches, not anything right. like would. this.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it so it's an exciting,
1: It was an exciting night, an exciting crowd, and a lot of great people. Exactly. And uh, I love the categories that are just all across the different sizes of organizations and companies. And they, too, are moving the needle forward for Pittsburgh.
0: That's what it's all about. And you can learn more about all of these winners and the finalists by going to pghtech.org. We've got a big old box there for CIO of the Year. Click on that, and you can learn all about these fantastic men and women that are really driving stuff forward. Audrey, our show tonight... We're actually talking to Sumo Logic tonight. They actually they were a sponsor of uh, CIO last night. We're talking to uh, Ben. Good Newton to see tonight. them. I'm very excited. We're also talking to Robo Matter, talking about some STEM related stuff. When it comes to how to get kids interested in science, and uh, engineering, technology, and math, and all that kind of fun stuff. And we also have a special podcast that I got from Innovation Works, talking about the latest venture capital numbers in the region. Rich Lunick will detail that. I grabbed that interview a couple weeks ago, and we're going to bring it to you tonight. Anyhow, we're taking a quick break. We're coming right back. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. Learn more about us at pghtech.org. Welcome back, everybody. So glad you're spending your Friday night with us. I got all my energy back, Audrey. You hear me? I hear it. I'm back up to full strength. You were down for a while. I I told you that for that 75 hour work week. I just needed a little rest and then (laughs) I'm right back to where I was. And I'm really excited for our next guest. They were hanging out with us last night. Well, this gentleman was not. He was not he's calling in actually. So we have uh, Ben Newton from Sumo Logic, and they're actually a a big partner of ours, to help help that CIO of the Year Awards go off so smoothly as it did last night. So Ben, thanks for calling in and taking your time with us tonight.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So
0: where are you calling in from?
2: I'm calling in from Redwood City, California. Oh, man.
1: Nice.
0: Good Lord. California.
2: Now we're talking. The
0: weather's nice. It always is, from what I hear. So anyhow... Thanks for taking the time. Real quickly, give our listeners just the, the quick pitch about what Sumo Logic is about and what you do at Sumo Logic, and we'll start the conversation from there.
2: Sure, sure. So uh, Sumo Logic has been around for about uh, eight years now, and we are a, what we call a cloud native machine data analytics service. And so really what that means is that we help our customers that are managing their mission critical apps, we help them manage the operations of those apps and make right. sure that they you know, give the best service to their customers manage security of those apps that so keeping the bad guys out and maintaining their compliance and and also you know figuring out how they can provide better service to their users by monitoring user activity and things like that.
1: So if people are listening what kinds of problems might they have that they should be considering you the company sumo Sure Watch. sure.
2: Sure absolutely. Yeah, I mean in, in particular on the uh, you know on the on the operations side you know and the security side we what what we see is that you know a lot of you know everybody's trying to move to the cloud now that's it's it's kind of a foregone fact and you know that's a very complicated transition for a, a lot of customers whether you you know a cloud you know, native cloud savvy born in the cloud whatever you want to say That's a very complicated transition. So a lot of what we help customers with is, you know, kind of maintaining the customer experience that they want. You know, you only have one chance to make a good impression on your customers. Absolutely. And you only have one chance to protect their data, right? So, uh, you know, really maintaining that level of, you know, operations and security as you move to the cloud or as you build these mission-critical apps in the cloud, that's what we help customers with. So that can be, you know, from... You know, basically reducing the amount of downtime and the problems that your customers see to you know doing things like you know one of our uh, customers you know reduce the amount of time that it, so- it took to solve customer issues when they when they call in. so you know, going from like two hours to investigate it to a couple minutes. I mean that makes a massive impact on your uh, you know customer experience, which is going to be you know, it's good for the the bottom line and good for the company.
1: It is right? And you know everyone so when you say go into the cloud," there are still people who don't understand that.
2: So yeah, absolutely.
1: Talk talk about that. Like why is everyone going to the cloud?
2: You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, you know, when I, you know, started out Simulatic 5 years ago, I don't think it was a foregone conclusion at all and, right. and I think what I I think we we somehow we've we've passed that hump that there's a there there's a common understanding that the, you know, the cost efficiency is number one. I mean, that's the most obvious thing is that you're, you know, getting the stuff off the plate that you really don't want to manage as a business. So why, you know, if you're in a retail business or you're, you know, you know, in manufacturing, whatever, why are you worried about managing servers, number one, right? So you get that off your plate. But I I think what is also, you know, become pretty clear to, you know, pretty much anyone who has, is in a competitive market, is that if you want to keep up with the You know, you're competitive. If you want to be competitive in this market, you've got to be able to scale. You've got to be able to build the kind of you know experience that your customers expect. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you can really only do that in the cloud with these modern architectures. You know, at least to some degree, you know, adopting you know the fancy terms like microservices, containers. There's all these different you know terminology out there. But what it gets down to is, can you scale and grow your business and grow your you know your exposure to your customers in a in a you know, the way that's going to be cost-effective for your business. And you, really the only place you can do that competitively is in the cloud now. So it's just a matter of, you know, at least all the, you know, companies that I talk to, it's just a matter of time. Everybody's got some sort of effort in place to do that. It's not in a competitive so, business. Exactly. And part
1: yeah. of it is the distraction, right? And it yeah. still remains a distraction when you've got all that stuff internally.
0: Like I said, no one yeah, wants to master. Yeah, absolutely. Service. Exactly, exactly. So running our listeners, we're talking to Ben Newton of Sumo Logic. So uh, I think the top concern for everybody as they're moving to the cloud is security at the end of the day, right? I mean, data, as you mentioned before, that is your secret sauce. That's what differentiates every company, and it, it, it's a matter of trust between them and their customers. And all of a sudden, you're like taking something that was once within your four walls, even though it probably was probably less secure <laughs> at some point, but the idea that they're actually turning it this over to another It is funny that vendor.
1: you say that, yeah. and I bet Ben yeah. would jump in, that people think it was more secure when they had it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Doesn't you know. It... Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, What you think is like? I build it. You know. I. I actually used to do con- consulting for uh, the the military at one point, and did a lot of government consulting. And I remember back in you know the early two thousands, you know, everybody wanted to see the blinking lights, right? Right. Exactly. right I feel right. better with that you know, light
0: blinking every day.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's like it's blinking. It looks pretty. It must be okay, right? And I and I think there's a there's a sense of false security around that, and what what it really comes down to is that you know even for the, some of the issues you you might see is that you know these these cloud providers in general have put in a massive amount of effort into securing their platforms and i think there's a general recognition of that but i, I think that is a difficult transition for your you know chief information security officers your CISOs and people like that where they're 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 making that transition but at least from a lot of the people we talk to you know, mentally, most of them have got past that point. They may have regulatory problems they have to deal with in their industries. You know, you know, mm-hmm. financial as opposed to retail is going to be very different. But I, I think they've, um, they've come to the conclusion that they have to make that transition because you know you're not safe if you run it in your own data center, and and if you run if you let somebody else run it you're going to be, you know, assured that they have to maintain a certain set of standards. And, and so now, and, and I saw also the cloud platform, just the tools you use. You know, for example, with, with Sumo Logic, I mean, one of the first hires, I think she was in the, the first five hires was our chief information security officer, our first chief information security officer. And, and, you know, she built that DNA into our platform from the beginning. And if you're running a cloud service these days, you can't. Nobody's around still that didn't do that in the beginning. You you, exactly. you really have to do that. So, yeah, that, that that gives a level of, I think, assurance to the customers. But, mm-hmm. you know, then on the other side is if you're moving to the cloud, now you've got all these new technologies you're not familiar with. There's a lot of people touching the buttons a lot of people with their hands right. in it. So how are you going to keep the visibility? So now I think that the big word is, you know, is visibility. Do you have visibility right. in all the stuff out
0: there? Right. then can, and think can
2: you act on it quickly when you see something.
0: And the answer with Sumo Logic is yes, yes,
2: and yes, I would have to assume. Because that's what you guys do. <laughs> no, did. no, that's absolutely. It better. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, the big we, – we've actually – you know, that kind of reminds me of a term we started using here now. You know, it used to be when I uh, was starting out it, with, with Sumo Logic, it was all about – you know, it's all about big data, and everybody's talking about big data, and I, and I think now it's actually really moved to fast data. Right. Because it's like, how quickly can you make decisions? It's great that you have all this data. You know, that's super cool, but, you know, if you can't do anything with it, if you can't act right. on it, If you're mired you down
0: in it, then it doesn't mean anything at that point. So we got about exactly. A, we, it's useless. About, we got about a minute or so left, and Sumo Logic's building a pretty big presence here in Pittsburgh, and uh, we're glad you're here kind of offering this. Just, you know, what are your thoughts on the future with Sumo Logic and how you guys are growing, especially in the Pittsburgh area?
2: Absolutely. Well, you know, I think that's a, a big part of what you're, you're seeing with, with Sumo Logic. We're really, we're, we're building, the company's growing very, very fast. You know, we're, uh, you know, we've, we've literally, you know, doubled in just the, about last year and a half, and we're going to be, you know, adding another 50-plus percent onto that, and really wow. a lot of that presence that's is crazy. getting people on the ground. Right. You know, we want to get people in, uh, you know, both across the U.S., you know, in places like Pittsburgh, but, you know, and also across the world, and, you know, we're very focused on, a, you know, getting to know our customers use cases and getting in there with them, and we want you know people that actually understand their businesses sure. and can talk to that because really at the end of the day with with sumo we get we, we get voted on every year you know exactly. we 're a subscription business and we can get voted out every year right exactly so pressures we, on, we have man. to make sure that, yeah exactly pressure's we, on. we have to make sure that we can uh, we can keep that kind of relationship so exactly. a lot of what we 're focusing on at sumo logic is is getting the people out there you know it 's a core part of our culture and then also. You know, building features within the product, that are going to make it easier and easier for, sure. for companies that are not necessarily, you know, cloud native to adopt the technology and also right. to, you know, have an easier transition. And then we're Excellent. we're all about making it an easy transition to, you know, getting the best experience for your customers.
0: Absolutely. So we're just about out of time. If people want to learn more about Sumo Logic, where can they go and check you guys out? Thanks. You go to sumologic.com and simple as that. So, hey, thank you so much, Ben, for stopping by and talking to us. Thank We're taking, you. Uh, taking a quick break. We're coming Absolutely. right back with more Tech Vibe Radio. This is Jonathan Kirsting.
1: And this is Audrey Rousseau.
0: Learn more about us at pghtech.org. Follow us on Twitter at pghtech.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm so glad you are
0: dialed into Tech 5 Radio. We like taking the show on the road to the offices, to the places, the spaces, everything in between in Pittsburgh, grabbing the stories when we can. And today, some great news has been announced, interesting news, and also news that we need to be thinking about in terms of what we can do better in Pittsburgh, all when it comes to Pittsburgh's investment scene, venture capital, angel, you name it. Big things are happening here in Pittsburgh in Innovation Works, in EY Ernst & Young. Every year, they come together to announce the numbers that are driving Pittsburgh's tech sector and everything around it. And we got Rich Lunak here from Innovation Works and Leon Hoffman from EY. Guys, thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so it's great to be here. I get so pumped up when you guys bring this study out because we see the action every day at the council. We, we, these companies are our members. We see them plugging away. We see them acquiring companies, we see them being acquired, we see these great things happening, and to actually see these numbers flow up into some real data, and you show year over year, I get really, really excited. So Rich, start real quickly, just fill our listeners in about the background on the report. What is the report? Why do you guys do it? And then we're going to have Leon talk about some numbers. So,
3: so each year, we try to look back at um, what what's happened in the early stage tech community here right. from an investment standpoint, and as you mentioned, we compile data about venture investment, angel, strategic corporate, and really all classes of money coming in. And that's
0: important because most people, everyone says venture because it's, it's like this kind of buzzword. Right. Venture's one slice, a big slice, a big yes. slice, but it's
3: just one aspect. You cover more than venture. Yeah, so what tectors, sectors are uh, right. attracting the capital? Where's the capital coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some some example companies? We look at exits. We look at university licensing and spin-out data. Yes. And Compelos, these things together. And I think it does a few things. One, it it, uh, it helps inform some of the regional strategies, but also when we look to then uh, court investors from out of town or other investors to look at Pittsburgh deals, you have right. a lot better information Absolutely. to talk about Pittsburgh's strengths. So, uh, And this report is extra special in that yeah. uh, we've been doing it long enough to now be able to look back at a 10-year period. So we've got 10 years data. So yes.
0: Give us a couple key stats on 10 years.
3: So, you know, it's it's really remarkable now to have a chance to look at it 10 years. But um, first off, the, uh, the level of investment has mm-hmm. risen quite a bit. It's up one hundred ninety-eight percent over those ten years. Wait, back up. One
0: hundred ninety-eight. Yeah, so it's
3: almost three times what it was, you know, back ten years ago. That's so we looked phenomenal. from two thousand and eight through two thousand and seventeen, and then the uh, number of deals, uh, so individual investment rounds, is up. I think one hundred and twenty-nine percent. So those two things showed uh, great growth. Um, but to me, probably the, the most surprising stat, Jonathan, was the amount of money uh, that flows into this space. So we had, over that 10-year period, $3.5 billion worth of investment. We had nearly $10 billion of research in our research universities, right, and right. then nearly $8.7 billion in uh, exit or liquidity events all totaling around 22 billion dollars so it, it it that was a you yeah, know I'm close so to That's data. surprising
0: you're like wait a second the UN said Ernst. He said, me yeah. on EY. And Leon, check <laughs> these <laughs> numbers again. You <Urtsy's> <laughs> so, did, you did. So, 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 tell us about the numbers in EY. So, you guys actually go and you verify these
4: numbers. You, you got
0: the, you got your, your best people pouring over this stuff.
4: Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers themselves come from third party sources, right? So, right. you know, we're, we're, we're not going in and auditing those sources, but You're but adding, needless to say, yeah, we're 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 working with Rich and his great team at Innovation Works to pull that information together. Um, and there's a lot of data in here, right? I mean, I think uh, some of the really exciting." Stuff for us. I mean, you look at the headline, and you look at 2017—almost 700 million dollars of investment in Pittsburgh local tech companies. I mean, that's a that's a big number. I like to look at it, and compare it to the national average. Right. If you look at if you look at nationally, just the VC funding slice, yeah. like you mentioned, that's just a slice of it. That right. was up 17% last year, okay? huh. which is. Very nice growth that's in uh, any any industry, any market. Very sizable. You look at locally, we were up almost forty five percent year over year. So just from a trend standpoint, you could see that you know the growth right. trajectory is um, is uh, actually higher than you know than the national average, which I think is a testament to what we've got going yeah. here. Yeah. So. so,
0: what would you say are some of the key factors driving this growth? I mean, that's some serious numbers. What's what's behind that?
3: Um, t- to me, I think um, when you look at the areas where we have strength, things like AI, machine learning, robotics, yep. even biotech. Uh, those are some of the hot sectors that everybody's talking about in almost every industry, and they've matured to the level where a lot of these technologies are coming into markets. You know, certainly we see things here locally, like autonomous vehicles, but you know, it's happening in manufacturing, warehousing healthcare, you know, autonomous vehicles and automation and those types of technologies are impacting a lot of industries and and our region has strengthened those areas. They're hot areas of investment and so I I think that's helping a lot. What are your thoughts Leon with
0: the diversity of these companies? I think that's a real strength for Pittsburgh that we're not relying on just one industry to Make this growth curve happen. So, if some of these, as we know, industries go up and down, and they're going to do that, we always have a counterbalance going on here in Pittsburgh.
4: Yeah, that's a that's a great point, and the diversity is huge. I mean, frankly, this is my first time being closely involved in this report, Um, and I I would tell you you know that clearly stuck out to me as something I hadn't had a great appreciation before. Really getting into the numbers, and you know, you look at, I mean, software and life sciences still are the bedrock, right? There's no question about that. But if you look at 2008 versus 2017 right, right, right. in terms of number of companies funded. That that you know that. Uh uh, foundation, although still the foundation, the percentage of funding has come down, which is the, which again shows that the other industries, the other sectors, are starting to attract more investment, which is great.
0: Absolutely. So what are the areas where we need to improve? What came out of the report that says, hey, we're lacking in some certain areas? In yeah. every region, we always have our struggles and we got to be real honest about them. Yep. That's why I love the fact that we track this. So we can say, hey, no, actually we're struggling here. Let's apply some resources to this area. What yeah. do we need to apply resources to, Rich?
3: So, so two things to me stand out. For, first off, we one of the things the report does is compares us to the forty largest metro areas in the U.S. So how do we rank out of forty? So, uh, in general, yeah. we um, we're ahead of like all the regions you would typically compare Pittsburgh to, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Cleveland, world. We we be be Cleveland. We beat Cleveland. Yes, okay, thank you. Yeah, we beat better. them in football and we beat them in venture. That's right. Um, but uh, we are still have quite a ways to go. To hit that sort of top tier communities, not not just Silicon Valley, but yeah. I don't Boston, either, I don't Austin, Austin Seattle, because
0: it's like ridiculous. It like, is we're ridiculous. Never be Silicon Valley. No, I don't
3: want to be Silicon Valley. So, so we are not where we aspire to. We're okay. we're growing faster than national trends, mm-hmm. and certainly, you know, a lot. of Candidly, a lot of Midwestern regions struggle to attract uh, capital. In fact, three-quarters of all venture goes into three states, California, yep. New York, and Massachusetts. Exactly. So uh, we're bucking those trends. But that that's one. The other one that I would say is, um, y- you know, we, we are still – you know, we would benefit greatly if we had a phenomenal IPO or just meteoric success. I was going to ask you about that because it's been a while since we've <laughs> had that
0: huge. And we've had some nice acquisitions lately. Wombat, yes. I, mean, I know IW yes. is very happy about
3: Wombat being acquired. That's Terrific like Money company. back into the kitty there for IW yes. to reinvest back into tech companies. Which and we're proof points going to add point. maybe 100 yeah. jobs here this year, but... You know, when you think about what happened in Austin or Seattle, Seattle has Amazon and Microsoft, right? And just massive, massive, uh, you know, some of the biggest public companies uh, on the planet. And then uh, in Austin, you had Dell Computer, which totally changed that ecosystem. So... You know, if we had a, a Duolingo or Four Moms or a company like I've that got, that my IPO, on Duolingo, I'm
0: telling you, they, yeah. could,
3: they could be the one. They I, could, they be, could the be the one, one. and uh, I, I think that would help uh, have sort of a step function acceleration. Right. In so what happens. How,
0: how does that happen? I know a lot of the issues we have are having that experienced management to, to scale that yeah. company to the point of taking it to that IPO. Yep. And we don't have that as much in Pittsburgh as we once did back in
4: the 40s I agree. Days, so I was
3: good. We, we have great. Technical talent, and we seem to do a great job at getting companies out of the gates and up to maybe a million or so in revenues or a few million. Um, once, you, once you get to that point, though, you you need teams that can be build sales, marketing, right. uh, operations. And we, we have some of that talent, but in some key areas you've got to recruit from out of town. And I, I think where we tend to struggle is, is scaling the company to tens of millions in revenues, exactly. like like Wombat candidly successfully did Absolutely. Uh, in, a, in a great way, and it showed with a terrific outcome. And I might also add they did it on relatively small amount of financial. Um, That's a um, good point. But, um, but I, I think those are areas that we need to work on.
0: Definitely. And so, Liam, yeah, what are your thoughts about Pittsburgh moving forward? I mean, obviously, you just you just started lining yourself up with these numbers. You said you opened your eyes. So, I mean, obviously, I think we're in a great town. I think Rich would probably back me on saying that. What are your thoughts about us moving forward?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a lot of momentum, right? I mean, I yeah. think, you know, to the, to the discussion around the, you know, A big IPO—that'd be fantastic, you know. But I think it's right now just capturing on the momentum, right? I mean, like, you know, we're we're not going to be the next Silicon Valley tomorrow or probably next year. But three to five years from now, we'd like to see us continuing to rise on this, you know, comparable city list. And I think. I think as we continue to have successful exits, um, you know, that's just going to attract more more attention to Pittsburgh from venture capital firms, other investors, and just kind of build out the e- you know the ecosystem even e- even it. bigger I than it is. It. So. I love it; that is
0: so fantastic. So, if people want to learn more about the report, where can they go? Because there's some great numbers. You can really like open it up and just start looking at all the comparisons, looking at the key numbers. Where can we go and check that
3: out? So, you can download it on the Innovation Works uh, website: okay. www. Dot org. And um, and if you want to reach out to us, send us an email. We'll even send you a hard copy. Ooh, those are fun. You can get paper cuts. Be careful. You can. I'm <laughs> just
0: saying, just saying. Please do. Guys, thanks for hanging out with us. I love seeing you know, Ernst and Young, EY, hanging out with Innovation Works to provide this data. Really, get, it really allows the region to look at this. Hey, we need to celebrate a little bit. Yes, yeah. we need to say, Yeah, we're doing, but now let's keep working harder. Here's where we got to address some issues. Agree. We're moving forward. I'm glad you guys have the research. I encourage everyone to check that out. Go to innovationworks.org. Check it all out. I swear it's good stuff, it's all truth. All truth. All good stuff. Thanks, (laughs) Jonathan. Thanks, guys. Anyhow, this is Jonathan Kirsten with the Pittsburgh Technology Council. Learn more about us at pghtech.org. We love helping tech companies succeed. Doing it since 1983. That is 35 years. Oh, my. Welcome back, everybody. I am so glad you're spending your Friday night with us. It's a wise investment. When you take a little time of your day listen to Tech Vibe Radio, you get to know the coolest people in Pittsburgh's tech sector.
1: Simple as that. There's a lot of them.
0: There is, and we get to interview them every single week,
1: Audrey. I know. And that's why we're so smart.
0: Exactly. Because we hang around the smart people, and it rubs off on us. I'm serious. Absolutely. I, mean, so I leave the studio 10 IQ points higher. Well, now.
1: considering where you started.
0: I, so from 80 to 90 is a good jump, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, so we,
1: we have Jason McKenna of RoboMatter in yes, the house.
0: Yes. The robots have taken over. It's great to be here. Not quite, but yeah. They sent Jason over to talk about what's going on.
5: So we have some great stuff going on Road Matter right now. we was yeah. actually in Mexico three weeks ago. Uh, we just had some partners uh, sign up with us there, uh, spreading STEM uh, curriculum all throughout Mexico and Latin America. Wow! Um, wow! So this yeah. this is your first foray south of the border? No, I was in I was in Mexico and Brazil in December. Okay, uh, it was our first engagement with them. So, so you made a lot of friends. Yeah, like. I made a lot of friends. I was in. Uh, Brasilia, São Paulo, and wow. Rio in Brazil. So I got to fly around Brazil. I, know. I love those areas. Yeah, cool. I've been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rio's Rio's without a dot. I tell people all the time. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been. It's
1: it. it's, it's crazy it's, there. It's though.
5: very similar to Pittsburgh <laughs> in that you go through a tunnel because it's okay. surrounded by right. mountains. Mm-hmm. Then you come out and there's the city, but then there's the ocean. Huh. I
1: yeah, similar to Pittsburgh, Rio, very our similar. ocean. Very, I, I thought I thought it was
0: going to be the new way we all have fruit hats here as well too. So I figured that, <laughs> that was what was going to keep us.
1: It's a these really amazing personality of a it's, city it's too. It's
5: very 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 vibrant. Totally, um, Rio is the, the the comparison I give to Rio and Brazil in general to other places I've traveled. If if you if you get an Uber in South Korea. Uh, or, if you get an Uber in Taiwan, the driver won't say anything. They'll just drive you to where you're going. It's, it's my big, kind of Uber driver. They're polite. They're yeah. polite. They're very polite. They'll be like polite but first of all, Ubers are illegal, technically, in Rio. Right. But you can get an Uber anyway. Yeah, there's know, Uber really. everywhere. And then when you get in the Uber, they will talk to you nonstop. Wow. Uh, English, Portuguese, whatever. whatever. They will great. talk they to you. They will, you will and talk. Every single ride that you're on, that's the way it goes. And that's, that's to me, that's a great example of what Rio is like. Right. Gotcha. Very, very friendly, very right. vibrant. We'll ask you what you're doing, right. why are you here, what's going on, you know, and it's just very engaged. Yeah. It's a very engaged it culture. Is.
0: So, Jason, give our listeners just a reset about the who, what, where, when, and why of RoboMatter. Then I sure. talk about some new things you guys have been up to.
5: Yeah. So, at RoboMatter, we create STEM education solutions uh, focused on computer science and robotics for students all over the world. Um, as I was just mentioning, we, we have recently set up some partners in Mexico and Latin America and South America. Uh, and what we try to do is we try to bring technology into the hands of students to make the next generation of innovators and problem-solvers right, right, right. critical and creative thinkers. You make me wish I was a kid again. I could learn this <laughs> stuff because it, it's so much more fun to learn
0: that way than well, the, thing, the way see, I did 45 and, years
5: and, ago. And, and that's a great point because in order to, to make that happen, what we have to do, a big part of what we do is train the teachers. And that's actually why I was in Mexico a couple of weeks ago. Ah. To, Are you some, fluent in Spanish? I'm not fluent in Spanish at all. Um, huh. but, uh, when you travel to these places, they're very accommodating for you and they'll, okay. they'll have translators for you. Ah, so, okay. That's so awesome. I'm very good at talking and pausing. Yes. So talking and pausing. Very good. <laughs> I, I've developed that skill over the last <laughs> And few sign years. language? Not sign language so much, but, um, you know, it's, it's funny though. I taught for 20 years and if you're talking with teachers, you can tell very easily if you're connecting with them or not. Okay. And what's resonating with them, what's where, where they might have questions, right. where they might have concerns. So uh that language is kind of universal. So I'm you sure know when
0: someone's eyes glaze over, right? I,
5: I can tell if people are nervous, if they're worried, yeah. what it is, uh, where that's they awesome. have questions. So I think in any profession that's probably true, and definitely uh, you have that universal language about it. So so that's what we're trying to do at RoboMatter, uh, both via our teacher training and our professional development and in the curriculum solutions that we make and the tools that go along with it. Uh, really trying to prepare students for this 21st century knowledge-based economy. That's really what our mission is. And also the research that goes into it. So uh, this is a very hot topic, as both of you know. Um, but what can we do to make sure that what we're doing is actually effective? Yeah, exactly. You're right. you Important.
1: collaborated on um, an article with Carnegie Mellon.
5: Yes. So we just had an article published just this week, actually. And what it was focused on was computational thinking. And really, the idea of it came to me. I was at so Remake Learning is doing a lot of great things in our region right. with technology, and science, and I was at one of their computer science gatherings, and I was talking with uh, a principal at a local school, and she was talking about how sometimes she gets a little frustrated because her teachers haven't really wrapped their heads around computational thinking and what it is and how it should be taught, and that and those mm-hmm. types of things. And what I said was. I really can't find them at fault for that, because if you ask different academics, you're going to get different definitions of what computational thinking is.
2: Hmm.
5: And what I taught, so that kind of gave me the idea for this article that I wanted to collaborate with CMU on. And the idea behind it, it's this, If if I teach third grade, I know at the end of third grade, my students have to have their multiplication facts mastered. If you have children you probably had flashcards with right. them when they were that age. You knew. Well, I remember at Absolutely. the end of third grade, you knew what sight words they had to know at the end of first grade. So those are milestones that students have to know right. in both literacy and math, and everyone knows them. Parents know them, teachers right. know them, everyone. Knows Up until them. fifth grade, then we don't know them anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the
1: difference. <laughs>
0: then a different it falls paper. off the cliff. Yeah. Right.
5: Okay. Um, but in computational thinking, none of that stuff exists. Right. What are those milestones? So what I talked about. In the paper was is there's different definitions of what computational thinking is but what everyone agrees upon is that a big part of computational thinking is the creation of algorithms and everyone also agrees upon what the basic building blocks of algorithms are so what are those things uh, so we talk about how an algorithm you have to be able to sequence you have to put things in the correct order. Right. You have this idea of selection, which is if this happens, then yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. Exactly. And then then looping, iteration in algorithms. Right. So those are the three basic fundamental building blocks of wow. algorithms. And those kind of form the sight words, to use that in the same analogy, for computational thinking. So I see. I wow. highlighted our curriculum at Robomatter that we collaborate with CMU on and the code.org curriculum because both of them do a very good job of highlighting those parts of an algorithm, uh, teaching those things to students, scaffolding that instruction so they can master them, and then move on to the deeper parts of computational thinking that we want them to get to. So,
1: and so that's yeah. for what grade levels?
5: So that can be taught. Uh, what our research tells us is that can be taught for students that are as young in first and second grade. So students can get, get taught sequencing. So, uh, and how powerful is that to get that at that
0: level? Yeah, and start being able to measure it. No.
5: Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and, that's, and that's a great point. And that's actually, I get asked the question all the time because I don't have a background in engineering or robotics or computer science or any of those things. So how did I kind of get involved right. in I was this? Say, but that was my hook in that what I found when I started teaching technology and teaching programming and things like that is there was a very low barrier of entry. So students can come in right, right now and get success right now learning things like sequencing. You can start seeing immediate results. Exactly. And it has a very high ceiling. So, they won't get bored. And the students that are progressing at a very uh, high pace can continue to do that. Right, there's right. not these natural impediments You can keep their attention in, and keep them, 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 them progressing. And that's right, actually, and, and when I talk about computational thinking when I do travel, I make the analogy to the scientific method, because mm-hmm. that's really what it is. Because I can teach a scientific method to second graders, but it's robust it enough sense. that yeah, yeah. Jonas Salk can use it to cure polio, right? And that's really what computational thinking is. If you break it down at its core, it's simple enough to be taught to very young students, but then you you put them on this path where they can do some amazing things with it. Hopefully, that's our goal.
1: You should teach this to adults as well.
5: Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I, think I mean, that's we could a, have it definitely. I,
1: I'd I'd like a refresher on this.
5: And yeah, and it's 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 one of those things that the more and and that's also a great point because what we talk about is this type of knowledge is for everyone because it's learning about the world around you. So when we were all in high school, we took biology, uh, not to become biologists, but right. to learn around, about you the world right, around and the, us. So, and the
0: methods to learn. It exactly. Well so
5: technology is ubiquitous. It's part of all of our lives. Like how does the Internet work? How can I play an online game with my buddy who's in a different state? Uh, all of these things, what we want to do is allow students to learn about the world around them whether it's around data, whether it's around abstraction, all these big ideas and technology, we want them to understand the world around them. And that applies to anyone, not just students that want to grow up and be an engineer. Exactly. A yeah. That just scientist. seems like how you be a successful human being. How, how are you able to interact with the world around? Exactly. You? That's a hundred percent right. Yeah.
0: Super powerful stuff. And,
5: and the, and the other part about that then is when, when I do travel, that's uh, a, a very powerful, um, incentive for, for, for countries, right? So, if I go to Indonesia, Indonesia is primarily an oil-based economy. <clears throat> they don't want to be an oil-based economy. As we know, the price of oil fluctuates, very difficult to base your economy on that. They want to be more of a knowledge-based economy. So, they want all of their students to learn these skills, to learn these types of wow. things, and then go out and um, apply them in whatever areas, or whatever problems that they may have in their lives. So. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really important.
1: So if people want to know more about that paper, do you have <laughs> that on your website now?
5: We are going to run a blog uh, a blog post on that on the RoboMatter website here uh, within the next day or so. They can also follow me on Twitter. Yeah, what's um, your Twitter Twitter handle? At McKennaJ72. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, so feel free to please do that and all the information there. And also uh, the RoboMatter Twitter account, uh, which is just at RoboMatter and yeah. the RoboMatter
0: website. RoboMatter.com. Yep. Simple as that. That's fantastic.
1: What's stuff. your last piece of advice? Yeah,
5: parting uh, words. Parting words. Uh, the last, the last piece of advice is I could say is that um, the the more that we can teach students not just about the consumption of technology, but the ability to create technology, both as students and as adults. I love se, that. The, the idea. of not just consume, not, but it's create. not just about the consumption of technology, but the creation of new technology. And kind I of, love it. and kind of like what I kind of leave when I say is. Um, when, when you travel as much as I do, you, you see these problems that are everywhere, like traffic. Traffic's a huge problem everywhere. Like, who's going to solve that problem? Someone's going to solve that problem. It's probably going to be with technology. Mm-hmm. So it would be great if you turn it into a video game, <laughs> and the problems
0: will be solved. I love it. Thanks so much for stopping yeah, by. Yeah, Really you. appreciate it. We did the toy. I love having you stop back to yep. update us on this great work. Robo, Robo Matter. matters. Good, good stuff. Anyhow, I can't believe another show under our belt, Audrey. I don't know where the time goes, but to me, it's like the best hour on a Friday night is talking to guys like Jason. So. Matter. Check them out without a doubt. Hey, learn more about the Pittsburgh Technology Council by going to pghtech.org. 35 years we've been helping technology companies succeed. We just love doing it. We can't stop. Go to uh, Twitter, at pghtech, and after you do all that, have yourself an awesome weekend. This is Jonathan Kirsten. And this is
1: Audrey Russo.